everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of the Auto Guide Show. We are the editors of AutoGuide.com, and it's many, many sister sites. I am Jody, and here we have Sammy Hello. and Sebastian. Hiya. A new episode drops every single Friday on YouTube or your favorite podcast provider. Uh, if you're listening, please make sure to rate and review because it helps us reach more people. Mm -hmm. uh, this week we're going to be talking about crossovers, which I know you guys love so much. We but have they're specialized. They're they are special good. crossovers. They These are, are unique. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the Jaguar I-Pace mm -hmm. and the Jeep Grand Cherokee Trailhawk. And I'm going to talk about how no one uses it, which is to do off-roading things. Yes. Not just crawling around in the mall. In the mall, yeah. yeah. So we'll get to that later. We're actually going to start with a user question, and it's from Scorpion251970. <laughs> and his question is I really is hope for... that's not his password. Because <laughs> so now we all know. <laughs> Send your PIN number, too. Um, so this question is for you, Sammy. Since you're an FRS driver, would you ever mm. trade it in for a MX-5RF? He also adds, I know it's considerably more expensive. Yes. He knows. I know. We all know. We all know. Uh, would I ever trade it in? No. Uh, I don't think so. Um, mainly because the FRS does a bunch of really small details that make it a really good everyday driver that the MX-5 doesn't do. For example, I know we make fun of the rear seats in the FRS a lot, but they're usable. They're like, that's where I throw my junk when I'm not using it. And you right. don't have that kind of storage space in an MX-5 at all. Same with the, cargo, the, the trunk. It's a huge cargo. Um, area. Yeah, so it's Cargo, too small um, to put area. people in, yeah. but it's okay for like your karate bags stuff, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and not only that, but like when you take it to the track, you can take an extra set of tires. It's super helpful. Additionally, the, the roof component of it, the hardtop um, MX-5, the RF, does it's still quite loud. Um, and I also don't really like the idea of driving a convertible in snowy weather. I think there can still be some snow, some cold air leakage through the through the roof and stuff like that. And I would prefer a hardtop that's designed from the get go to be a hardtop. I uh, guess, hard but the RF does have a retractable hardtop, so it can't be as bad in winter as the the cloth top one. Right. Uh, on the other hand, that's the car I would get um, if I had to pick an MX-5. I think the cloth top is more attractive to me because it's later. Um, I like how quick it is to just sling it back and forth. Um, it's cheaper, and I think it looks better. I'm, I'm actually one of the few people who think that with the, with the roof up, actually in general, when you drive an MX-5 RF and you look over your shoulder or you check your, your, your mirror, you see this, this body panel that is um, that's distracting, and I don't like that, and the soft cloth model doesn't have that. But still, I don't know if I'd trade the MX-5 uh, for an MX-5 um, my, I'm, I throw away my FRS for an MX-5. On the other hand, that new engine that's in the MX-5, the ND2, is so good. And the transmission in an MX-5 is also really, really solid. And uh, I have to say that the Mazda is a great product. I just don't think it's for me right now. Would you trade your FRS in for anything? Is there... Not necessarily. That's a good point. I've been talking to you about this uh, actually a lot, have, which so is why I brought fair. it up because you have an answer. We um, we got in our household. We got a new, like, uh, more practical vehicle um, to handle the snow and the daily commute and stuff like that. And so that means that the FRS will getting a, will be getting a little less action than it used to be, used to get. And I was thinking of just getting rid of it and getting something really wild and wacky, something like um, an older AMG, like an, a C sixty three AMG, right. which would be just insane. But then I remembered that those things are very expensive to maintain. And, um, and the FRS costs nothing the, to maintain. The FRS is super affordable yeah. to, to maintain. Yeah. 
Um, I would want to get it, if I was going to get rid of the, the FRS, it would have to be for something that isn't just fun to drive. It has to be something just the next level in one way or another. And the MX, the, the, the C63 sounds insane. It's got serious straight line performance. Um, and it looks, it looks and sounds like badass. Like yeah, it just is incredible. It's a V8, right? Like that's, that's what makes, I would have to get, I, I wouldn't want to get something with a comparable power level and performance like tier. Yeah, if you're going to get something new, yeah. it'll be completely different. It has to be something different. Yeah. But if you're worried about cold weather, yeah, with no, a hard I know. Top on. Exactly. An AMG is definitely where you want to be. It's not going to work. Yeah, so, exactly. like Rear-wheel I said, drive, oodles of horsepower. Like I said, it's about changing for a different experience, and that's what I would be gunning for. I've even mentioned things like a really old uh, Celica Alltrack, cool. like a turbocharged Celica four-wheel drive model. I think that would be pretty cool, um, and I'd probably save some money just on the get-go with that, but then have to spend all that money in maintenance, anyways. So. That's what I'd be. I mean, I'm sure you guys have ever have looked at your your daily drivers and said, "Yeah, would I like to replace this with something very similar, performance-wise?" I don't know if that's always the, the the ideal path to take. I think that's the way a lot of other people think, though. Like for me, if I have a ten-year-old golf, mm-hmm. if I am a regular person and I'm shopping around, maybe I'm like, "Oh, maybe I'll just get a newer golf because I know it." And it's familiar, but it has all of the, the tech and stuff that I want. Why would you get rid of your golf to get another golf that weirds me out? Like, if you want to get something new, get something that's different, like new and different. It's a whole new experience, a whole new chapter. Yeah, but you know? this is why, uh, like, for example, Honda Civics get bigger and more expensive because they're growing with their audience, right? right? So they remember the people who had Civics 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and they're like, hey, we, you should upgrade to this newer Civic because it's familiar to you, but, like, way better. So I think a lot of normal people, not enthusiast people, shop in right. that manner. Right, I think I understand that completely, for sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for your question, Mr. or Ms. Scorpion. Uh, if you have a question, please email us at tips at autoguide.com or you can leave a, a comment on the post on YouTube or on Autoguide. Um, and we love to answer your questions. So, moving on. Let's get into some cars. Let's talk about, let's chat about cars. <laughs> well. Is that not appropriate? Why are you guys laughing at me for that? I don't know. It just seems like we You're being weird. <laughs> let's <laughs> chat about cars. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what do we got? We got a uh, we got this. So we Jaguar have a Jaguar I Pace, mm-hmm. um, and this is kind of the, I guess the second time I've spent considerable time with an electric car. And the first time I had a house in a garage, so I was able to plug it in every night. Um, this is the first time I've lived in a condo without a charger that I've had to drive an electric car for an extended time. Um, so in general, like the I Pace, people are really excited about it. Like ton. I posted a photo of it on Twitter, and I've never seen so many questions pop out about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So people are just really curious to know um, stuff about performance, how it stacks up against like a Tesla. Well, I think that's one of the things about it is that like other electric cars don't feel like they live up to the same level of luxury as a Tesla. Like a GM Bolt is kind of like I know it's maybe a smarter choice, but it doesn't have quite the same cachet. Right. Nissan Leaf is a Nissan. So this is a status thing. This is a status yeah. thing, and it's like it's got similar performance to the Tesla and similar status to the Tesla. So it feels like a Tesla competitor yeah. in a very real way. And right now, there's nothing else that competes with it. Right mm-hmm. now, it's just the Tesla Model X and the Jaguar I Pace. Like yeah. next year, you know, the e-tron and the GLE or not the, the what is it EQC. called? EQC is going to come out uh, and those will be a little bit um, stronger competitors. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, people are really excited about it. It's a really strong contender for like every single car of the year out there. So like our own um, for World Car of the Year, which Sammy is a part of. Oh yes. For North American Car of the Year, which I'm a jury member of. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just been really impressive all around. And in a way that maybe the Tesla can't get. Okay. Um, mostly because like it, it just everything about it is is good. Like there's okay. no little <coughs> trim bits that are wonky or anything like that. Because like Jaguar has, I guess, a little bit more experience making production cars Which than Tesla does. Sad to say, but an English company. But yeah, I mean, but I've heard that it's very quiet inside. Like it's everything is really well bolted together. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. the windows have double glazing, and there are no bumpers falling off in the rain. You can't hear anything. And so I'm just going to touch on the specs a little bit. So okay. full range is 234 miles, okay. which is about what you would need in a week of like commuting. Mm -hmm. um, the base price in the U.S. is 69.5. Nice. And in Canada, it's actually a lot more expensive. The base price in Canada is 86.5. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a ridiculous thing. And it is a ton of money. And when we're talking about like that high, I just I just don't know if it's worth it. We're also talking that okay. there's no incentives included in those prices, right? That's tr that's correct. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. This is not including like taxes or incentives or anything well, like America, that. That U.S. price of sixty nine five sounds really good, especially especially if you're considering the fact that there's no EPA incentive added or, or removing like lowering that cost. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. Um, I drove this a while back, actually, during the New York Auto Show um, as a pre-production, and I was really impressed with um, not the performance, like the usual electric car performance of, of um, range and the quietness. It's actually a very agile car. Um, it, it changes directions very quickly. It doesn't feel... I, it bugs me that we call it a crossover because it doesn't quite feel like a crossover on the road. It's it feels very, more like a hatchback. Yes. Uh, oh, it feels like a sport back, in my yeah. opinion. It feels a lot closer to the A7 or like a CLS yeah. in terms of its design. It doesn't feel quite that high yeah. up either. Well, if you, I stood next to it and I was, I was really shocked by how short it is and how low to the ground it is. Absolutely. It has some SUV proportions, but like its overall size, you're right. Yeah, it's really short, it's really wide, and it doesn't look all that SUV-ish. It's, yeah. yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting design. I will say that it's the car that has made me say heinous butt for the second time this week because it's got that weird kind of step. It does. It just the... ends. It yeah. Just yeah, ends. it's just a box. And I think that's an aerodynamic move on their part. Everything um, regarding its design was made for better aerodynamics. And so they, they also did a really interesting thing where they put a real grill on there even though it doesn't need it. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and I was talking to someone at Jaguar and they basically said that they included the grill because they wanted it to look like a Jaguar. Okay. Uh, it was just a brand identity thing because they're not as established as a brand. Sure. And so if they took that signature element away, they were afraid that people wouldn't know it's a Jaguar. So that's why they kept it on there, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, that's fair. There's also a little panel that that allows for air to channel through it, like in that front hood mm -hmm. area. So that also, I think, is another element of that grill that it connects in that spot as well. So it helps improve the aerodynamics and even some um, performance in the rain, the way that the, the rain would flow off cool. your windshield. Um, yeah, it's really interesting because just being an electric car driver for a week, I've learned so much about it and just the, a lot of people can get really nerdy about electric car driving in the same way that like enthusiasts can about like tuning their stuff. Sure. And so it's really interesting. There are, everyone's been asking me about like my uh, power consumption at highway speeds versus city speeds and they're right. like, they, they really love getting into these little granular details. And 
I'm new to all this. Like, I'm, I'm new to all this electric car stuff. Our posters are falling down. Um, and so I'm learning a lot while driving it. Um, in terms of range and stuff, I've charged it once mm -hmm. so far with a, not a super fast charger, but um, a public charger. A right? public charger. And I got about 32 kilometers for an hour of charging. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was able to drive you like a hundred kilometer yeah, round trip a, with no worries at all. That wasn't so bad, yeah. Yeah, and I was driving it like a normal car. Like I wasn't trying to baby it or hypermile it. Um, so I'm actually pretty impressed by the range. Yep. Um, the other thing is that I don't have a charger at home. So I've been driving it to work and just plugging it into the wall socket, yeah. which is super slow. It's not really, you get, I get like 2% an hour or something like that. So it's super, yeah. super slow. But my commute home is only three kilometers anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> and the nice thing about uh, electric cars too is that you don't, wait, like, you don't run out of gas uh, being stopped, right? I mean, you're using a lot less electricity just by sitting around. So if you get stuck in traffic, you're not as worried about losing power. So it's like, I've heard a lot of people saying like, yeah, well, it gets 300 kilometers, but happen what happens if you get stuck in traffic? And it's actually, that's actually ideal for an electric car. Yeah, because you're, you're not, you're barely using any energy yeah, when you're, you're just stuck there in traffic. Yeah, so I've been really impressed. I really like using the regenerative braking. The mm -hmm. one pedal driving is really cool. Although I think they could have taken I'm it a, a little bit further. I, I don't like know what it. it is about it, but it I'm takes, not that. It takes some getting used to. Okay. Um, and in the, it's a little bit different in the leaf because mm -hmm. when you're in the leaf and you're doing one pedal driving, you can time it exactly. It's a lot easier to get used to, but you can actually come to a full, full stop right. without touching the brake pedal. Yep. With the I-Pace, you can't do that. Like you're going to have to hit the brake pedal at some point because it won't come to a complete stop. It'll just keep like creeping forward. So I think they could have taken it a little bit further. Um, what did you, I mean, when you first got in it, you told me that you were having some um, issues with the HVAC controls and the way the, the center console was sorted out. That was the first impression. Has it gotten easier to use over the, the week? Yes, it has. So initially, there is a little bit of a learning curve because I think they were trying to push push the boundary in terms of how futuristic and how, um, like it's what the user tech. interface. Yeah. yeah, so it's got a, the big touch screen, it's got a little touch screen where you can use to control the HVAC and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. it does take a little bit of getting used to, but I've had it now for four days and I'm, I'm used to it now, okay. I get it. Uh, and another thing that people were really curious about and I didn't realize, I, when I drove it, I didn't realize that this was something that should be a, a, a something on the forefront of buyer's mind, but the visibility of it, especially rearward, rearward yeah. visibility, is, um, is tough to gauge. It's it, not very good. I'll tell you that right now, is that the iPace has terrible rearward visibility. And, but it's also the same thing with the F-Pace as well. I think I almost killed like three people when driving the F-Pace because its blind spots are enormous. Right? <laughs> and our cameraman, like, yeah, he's also on the, it's just, <laughs> and that's a problem. And so you, you just have to be a little bit more aware of what's going on around you if you have uh, blind spots like that. So with these really high-tech vehicles, um, we start, we're starting to see some solutions to that kind of stuff because aerodynamics, making a car more aerodynamic might have an impact on its visibility. And we're starting to see things like um, rear view mirror cameras take the place instead of regular review right. mirrors and improving the visibility. Do you think that would be um, something that would improve the iPace? Yes and no. I, in theory, I think those cameras work 
well, they sound really cool, but in reality, they're just too jarring to use. Yeah, sometimes they're like, it feels like there's a tiny bit of lag or the, um, the field yeah. of vision. The, it's just the, your eyes aren't used to seeing it in that way. Yeah. So you're going to have to just like retrain your brain to understand what it's showing you. But I think it's possible. I think it just it's just a matter of how quickly you can get used to it. Okay. Yeah, um, it's also fast. It's very fast. It's so fast. I guess we've, le we've left the, the, the best note for last, I guess. Well, I mean, we're, we're car people, so that's kind of what we care about, right? right. Um, and I, I mean, I, I'm into all the green stuff too, but I also love that it has 512 pound-feet of torque. That it is instant. feels it. It's Oh, insane. my God. It is so fast. It's like being on a... On, 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 not it's like it's just launching you. Like, yeah, like it's just catapult. catapulting yeah. you. Yeah, and so... I, that's that's just a feeling that I'll I feel like I'll never get used to, and it's really fun. Like it still yeah. gives me the giggles. Electric um, power is really good. Yeah, yeah. The, and this thing just to sixty in four and a half seconds. Yeah. And it's like, and yeah, the whole through the whole travel of the pedal, you're like, and, and it doesn't stop yeah, either, which is crazy. <laughs> um, so that's a lot of fun. Um, it's also some, it's a car that people are really excited about in a way that I haven't seen people excited about Jaguar in the in, you know in the near past. I mean, I think Jaguar does a really good job with their designs. I think the F Pace gained uh, some attention. Um, F Type has always gained attention, and I think the I Pace blends the two of this gorgeous design with some utilitarian and and forward thinking um, pieces as well. So I think I see that. But what um, really blows my mind is I think people want to know if this is a vehicle that's going to is going to be reliable. Um, Jaguar, as we we mentioned in the past, does not have the strongest um, reputation for mm -hmm. reliability, especially when it comes to electronics. Why why make an EV? And is this EV going to be like? Is it going to be the one? Has anything has anything caught your eye? Has anything not made any sense? Has like an infotainment system or a window switch not worked, or I don't know what to the, say. The only thing that comes to mind is the reverse camera didn't come on once, but that was it, and it was one and done, like it never happened again. Interesting. Um, I think it's really important for Jaguar to figure this stuff out, though, because eventually they were, they were talking about how they're going to become an EV-only brand one day. Okay. <laughs> what? I mean, they've got a long way to go. They've got a lot of cars in their lineup right now. For sure. That, and they have a fairly modern engine, that Ingenium engine, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, it's a fairly modern motor. And they've to make that transition, to make that decision to go all EV is, is a bold one. I don't think they've made like a definitive, we're doing this. I think they said it could be possible okay. that they would move in that direction eventually, like it's not right now. Also going to be necessary if... Uh, all these countries and cities that are saying they're not going to allow the sale of uh, internal combustion engines, if that all pans out, like they hope, like they're saying it will, especially in Europe, then brands like Jaguar and Audi and, you know, German brands and all these people are going to have to make electric cars. They mm -hmm. don't really have a choice. Yeah. On the other hand, they're embracing one thing very, very well, and that's um, the motorsport of electric racing. They have that whole spec series that's going to show up during Formula E. And that's, yeah. I don't know if it's funny or, or cool. I have been saying this for years. It's uh, time for Sebastian's terrible opinions. Uh, <laughs> we should make that a regular no, no, segment. No, no. Yeah, exactly. We need a, we, 
I've been saying that people should be racing, automakers should be racing uh, SUVs and crossovers for like so long now. Electric okay. ones? Outside sure. of outside of Baja, all, all crossovers, and electric ones especially. Okay. Why not? Okay, so first of all, they keep selling these cars like they're powerful and like they're sporty. They mm -hmm. keep cutting the roof farther and farther down, trying to convince us that they're coupes. So, how do you how do you prove to me that this is a sports SUV, a sports coupe, by racing it? And you say this is ridiculous. These things are huge. They're not that sporty. I can feel you guys saying that right now. <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay, what about NASCAR? NASCAR in the history of time has been all enormous cars. A Galaxy 500, are you kidding me? In the 60s, that thing was the size of the SS JFK. Okay, so, so you're big. suggesting we start putting like Honda CRVs mm -hmm. and like Jeep Cherokees yep. into NASCAR? Yeah, 100%, that would be <laughs> hilarious. My one example was, uh, I, specifically DTM, I wrote an article for 42.com, please read it, and uh, <laughs> it was about the Audi Q5. I want that in DTM. So DTM is Germany's like local, touring car series, right. mm -hmm. and it used to be a place where BMW, Audi, and Mercedes went to go have a good fight and just, you know, fight amongst themselves for no good real reason. But no one does it anymore, but right? But nobody does it anymore because nobody buys small sedans anymore. Right. So if Audi was to bring a Q5 into it instead of, a, in, instead of an A5, then they could get the benefit of having their, they could sell SUVs which is something that will happen. They don't have to sell to uh, enthusiasts because enthusiasts already know what they're buying. It doesn't matter if Mercedes beats Audi in a DTM race. Yeah, but do non-enthusiasts watch motorsports? They would if it was hilarious <laughs> and they were crashing into each other all the time. Aww. And the car that they owned was in it. No non-enthusiast owns an A5. Uh, but they do own a Q5. And if you saw your Q5 racing and you had your five-year-old with you, you'd be like, oh, look, there it is on TV. I'm going to sit down and okay. watch this with you and have a more moment of family together. I mean, it's not he's crazy. Got a, he's got a point. <laughs> well, okay, so here's the thing, is that they're all doing Nürburgring lap times anyway with their crossovers. Mm -hmm. So the, so doing it official, yeah. Well, I have blanked out on this. Okay. Okay, like Alfa Romeo, Stelvio, Quadrifoglio. That's yeah. Alfa Romeo. The Urus. The, uh, that's what I mean, though. They're crossovers. Boom. Boom. Sorry. <laughs> Sebastian's getting real violent over here. He's like really passionate about this subject. It's so fun. <laughs> um, but I don't think it's I don't think it's crazy um, because I, if that's what people want to buy, then that's you know supposedly what they want to watch as well. Exactly. Right? People want to see what they own represented on TV. Uh, first of all, I think it'd be hilarious. I think watching SUVs go around crashing and, and running into each other would be so much fun. Second of all, it sounds dangerous. Second of all, well, they're going slower, so it's safer. Second of all, if you have an SUV, you have actual engineering issues. You don't have a car that's designed to do this that all of a sudden can go fast. Like, yeah, I know a supercar can go fast. It's been designed to go fast. If you make an SUV go fast, that's amazing. That's cool. Okay, so <laughs> once I again, Sebastian makes a good point, but he takes it to a point <laughs> in which I can't taken, agree with him. I may have taken things too far. <laughs> it's too far. <laughs> All to say that I think the iPace Racing Series is hilarious and a good time, and I think uh, it's a great idea. I agree with you. I do think the iPace Racing Series is funny, and it's hilarious. I said funny. Because mm. um, there's no noise. There's just no noise. <laughs> there's just ginormous uh, SUVs on these street courses that should not be accommodating big SUV or at least SUV-like cars, and um, it's a way to promote, uh, as Sebastian said, this product that pe can, people can get in their hands for 69.5, that's pretty nice, and uh, will improve that visibility. Yeah, and I also think it's important, um, not just from a motorsports perspective, but all that technology will somehow trickle down into the regular cars, exactly. and so if motorsports is the test bed for new stuff, 
your suggestion isn't crazy. Exactly. You're, you're <laughs> I'm just making it more logical than you. <laughs> That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me, by the way. But uh, <laughs> my suggestion isn't crazy. But yeah, that's another thing. You're actually uh, doing something on Sunday to sell it on Monday. You're racing on Sunday, and the technology will eventually make it in, especially in this uh, electric racing thing. And Jaguar is also in Formula E, so they also have the traditional yep. open wheel top speed racing type of stuff. Cool. Cool. All right. Moving on. You want to talk about what uh, the other stuff I want to talk about? Yeah, Sammy went to SEMA for the first time in his life, and, and he'll never go back. Wild. <laughs> um, but he was also there to drive some pretty cool Jeeps in some pretty cool yeah. settings. So the first thing I noticed when I went to SEMA is that every single product that was being uh, shown off and demonstrated was a truck. Uh, it was lifted, it had big old knobby tires, and they were like, you can go off-road, you can off-road better with our product. Everyone had a Wrangler on a little rock the size of them <laughs> to, to showcase that they've got the right product for you. And um, you know what, instead of gawking at all of these products, we actually went to um, a state park called the Valley Fire. We took um, a Jeep Grand Cherokee Trailhawk as well as a Wrangler Rubicon. And we drove those two products in, in different environments. So uh, I'll talk about the Grand Cherokee Trailhawk, if you don't mind, because the experience was so interesting because I was driving solely on this soft sand. Um, it's, it's really important to, to set the, the stage here. This valley of fire is all orange and yellow. It's, it's such an interesting landscape. In if fact, I'm not mistaken, it's where they shot uh, Total Recall. I was yes. going to say 2001 A Space Odyssey for some reason. <laughs> but no, the other famous sci -fi, high, yes. sci high art sci-fi. Yes, Total Recall. So was, it looks that like was, Mars. It looks like Mars. what you're saying. So we had this Grand Cherokee Trailhawk, not the Trackhawk. I, I know some people are excited to hear about the Trackhawk. We'll, we'll talk about that in a future episode of the podcast. But um, what I will say is that I'm familiar and I feel I'm experienced driving on something that I thought was similar to sand, which is snow. Snow is the slippery surface. Um, it's, we know what snow is. I know. <laughs> but driving in sand requires some different strategies. For example, um, it needs power. It needs a heavy, heavy foot to get through sand. Yeah, um, you were saying this in 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 snow. You want to be really delicate. Gentle. Every everything is about yeah being gentle. But in sand, you were saying that it's all about momentum. You, you just, just like wanna, hammer through. Yeah, the key to to like driving in in snow is to maintain control. So you drive slowly. You maintain Smoothly. you maintain that weight balance, and you want to make sure you don't you don't slide around. Um, in sand. The key is to not get stuck. And the moment you stop, all of the sand pours into like where it's not supposed to go and it bogs down the wheels. And then you have to use a heavy foot to pull yourself right out of that again. Right. So the cars we had, instead of featuring the base V6, had the 5.7 liter Hemi. That makes 360 horsepower and 390 pound-feet of torque. And that was beautiful. That was perfect. Um, and one of the most important parts here is there's a ginormous dune. It's about the size of a house. It has to be. It had to be. And I'm looking at this, and they're like, okay, we're going to drive up that and then crest it and come back down. Okay? <laughs> and you're watching people do this. It looks intense. It, it, they're, they're going up. You hear a V8 at like full tilt. It goes up there. And then they get up to the top, and then they're, you can see this thing. It's like bouncing around, coming back down. They're, it looks like they're wrestling on the way down. Now, I've done some 
downhill stuff on, on sand, soft sand. I think I've done it in a Subaru. And sometimes when, you're, when you have that hill descent control on, it tries to maintain the front wheel braking. And then the rear end starts to like slip out and you start like crab walking down, like sideways <laughs> down this Which hill. Which does not sound comfortable. But no, but I was worried that that would happen. So here we go. I look at this hill. I hammered and like hammered down. We go up. It's super. It's it's really cool. I get up there and we just go. We just go right down. And I thought I would be wrestling the steering. I thought that I'd be hammering the brakes, making sure that we're not. We're, we're, we gotta. I gotta do something to maintain control. And that thing happened. So it was, it was just a lot easier than you it expected was it to so be. So much that in that situation, so much easier. Now I think that has a lot to do with. Um, the, the, there's like a, a bunch of drive modes that you can select in this Trailhawk, including a sand mode, and that will limit the interaction from the stability control and traction control. We also lowered the tire pressure um, to make sure we have more surface area on the tires to get going and getting traction when we need it. The one thing that is noticeable though, this is not a desert running vehicle. Uh, it's not a Ram. It's not, I mean, it's not a, what did I think? A Ram Power Wagon or, a, or an F-150 Raptor. Raptor. Right. Yeah. We, we raised, although we raised the air suspension in this vehicle, there are some undulations in the sand, and I started hearing something hitting the, the tail end. I, whether that's the rear diff hitting the body or something more severe than that, I, you realize that as, as capable as this vehicle is, there's some um, limitations to its, its construction. And um, you have to drive a little bit more accordingly to, to how it's built. It was a very unique experience. I really do recommend it, especially for people who, ha who buy Grand Cherokees, Jeeps. Because on the road, Jeeps have some um, real true criticisms. They, feel, they can feel a little loose sometimes mm -hmm. um, with, in terms of throttle response and steering response. And they can feel a little floaty in terms of suspension. But in off-road situations, all of that those features their, help you. Absolutely. Yeah. And make the car not just like excel in those situations, but make you feel like a superhero. And that's that's something I was not expecting. That's pretty cool. And so you also took the Wrangler Rubicon rock crawling. Yeah. And when you told me this, I was like, wait, they just give you stock Rubicons? So, and I think that is really impressive that like right out of the box, yeah. you can just go to the dealership, buy this Rubicon, and you can just climb up rocks, no problem. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, when you go like this, we did it very slowly, but we still like, we still went in this weird like pattern of, it's slow, it's very, very slow. Uh, I like that because it's accessible. You are not going to fear damaging something or overdriving your car when you're driving at that speed. You also have guides and coaches in every corner of this rock climbing course, rock crawling course, who are telling you, and they're looking at your tires, which way to point them and to get going or not. Additionally, the Rubicon comes with so many very important features. Um, electronic detachable front sway bars, um, front and rear locking diffs to help you get the traction and the control that you need to get this 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 stout little thing up these hills. And I'm telling you, these are like some of the big rocks yeah, too, some right? of the grades that you have to, to ascend are pretty impressive. I thought, honestly, I, if I I thought we would slide right the heck back down. But good tires are important. These had BF Goodrich, not KO2, KM2s, um, which are big knobby uh, tires, and they stuck. I was so impressed with this, um, and I think as much capability as the cars have, the tires as well have that much um, to say in the, in the matter. Cool. Have you driven, you've driven one of these, these 
Wranglers before. Right? I've driven a Wrangler. Have never gone rock crawling though. Like that whole form of driving is yeah. completely foreign to me. This was my first time, and I have to say it's far more accessible than it looks. Again, you are looking at things, and if if somebody touches one of these rocks with like the the car, it makes a terrifying noise, right? Like you've damaged something. But then again. These cars have a million skid plates. They're designed to actually, they're protecting the com core components of the car. And, um, and that's okay. So nobody was ever concerned that cool. when you heard that bang or something like that. No, there's something there to protect it. So I have to say, if you are a Jeep um, owner, consider some of these, these off-road activities because I think that would be the ideal way to feel the value and the confidence of your car. In fact, I asked many of the guys, I'm like, are these, like, especially when driving this Grand Cherokee through a sand course, and I said, I think a lot of buyers get these cars because they think it can just go through oblivion. It can go through anything. And here's a, ca a case where we actually are just driving a pretty normal car. We look, sure, we, we, we change the tire pressure, but it doesn't require too much extra information. Yeah, it's otherwise just stock. Yes. I think that's incredible. So. I said, is this car idiot proof? Like, can anybody be like, oh no, there's a rug, there's a, a mudslide. I'll just take my, gra put my Grand Cherokee in mud mode and just go through it. And they're like, mm, like 80% of the way. <laughs> like some situations require a good knowledge of what you're dealing with. And if you've never done it before, you're going to be caught off guard. You have to learn on the fly. It's also just a blast. Like I haven't done any rock climbing, but my brother has an old Jeep from the 50s or something like that and like we just go down trails with it but it's so much fun like, it's so fun i'd rather go off-roading than do track driving like yeah. almost any day <laughs> it's like it's a blast and i don't know why like it's hard to explain but you're just out there and you're like doo -doo -doo -doo, it's because you feel like you've overcome something yeah, whereas yeah. like if you're track driving you're really just against yourself like your own <laughs> <laughs> your own like times and yeah, stuff so really, but if you're off-roading you're it's like you against nature and you're like reconnecting with <laughs> with the earth it just feels good i don't know it feels like you're con you're conquering the earth in some well yeah that too <laughs> yeah but you're overcoming an obstacle which is not always the case when you're track driving right um, and yeah, I mean, it was a very unique eye-opening experience because I've always said the, the Grand Cherokee is an interesting vehicle because it's, it spans a very broad spectrum of price points, but sometimes it misses the point in terms of the on-road commuting aspects of how good a car can be. I've said that in some cases, if you're, if you're a regular on-road commuter, something like the Kia Sorento would really be a, a better choice for you in that size and price point of a vehicle. Um, but then again, seeing this stuff, in action, feeling it in action, you understand why a Grand Cherokee might be more preferable than something more mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the capability, and it's like a brand heritage thing, right? Like, people are really proud of their Jeeps. Mm. And don't you feel like that if you're driving a Jeep, you just become part of that family? I, you do I, have to wave at people, right? It's yeah, a cult thing. Wave, yeah. I want to believe that. But do you really think the renegade and, and compass no, drivers get that, like, treatment? I don't think they do, but I think it is definitely a brand loyal thing. Mm. Yeah. I think I even know. the fact that it's related to a Wrangler, they secretly like love that fact. There's also part of it that's like a fantasy. Like when you like when we go gaga for like sports cars and supercars, there's part of that fantasy that's like I'm Juan Manuel Fangio, I'm racing a Ferrari around, you know, blah blah blah. And when you're in a Jeep, you also have that feeling like I'm, you know, on top of the Sir world. Sir Edmund Hillary going down the Amazon. I know he didn't do that, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, 
uh, there, there's part of a fantasy, and like that does seem to really matter. Like it's not, it, it hasn't gone away. It's mm -hmm. never. It every time an automaker comes out with a car where you can have that fantasy, it sells better because of it. Yeah. I mean, people really just want to be able to take that dirt trail or like get through some snow with a little bit more confidence, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Well, so I think people see a lot of traffic and they, you know, when they're stuck in traffic, their eyes glaze over, they look over and they're like, oh, that field would be perfect if I could just use that yeah. field to cheat this traffic. I think that all the time. When I'm in a Jeep, I'm like, I, I could just run over that hill right now and, and I'd be out of this. And I never do it. Because I don't want to get arrested. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that, I mean, it was a very interesting experience, and I do recommend. Um, this was a program done with, I think, the Jeep Jamboree, um, which is a, a, a group that helps cater um, these kind of experiences for um, Jeep owners. Cool. But that's it for this week's episode. That's all we got to talk about. Okay? Sorry, Sebastian. We, I don't want to talk to you whatever silly car you drove. And your weird ideas. Or whatever car you you ended up, one of your broken cars. Or your old man sayings. <laughs> yes. You know, they said the same thing about Galileo. Okay, guys? <laughs> um, but thank you for listening. And uh, if you want to hear some of our latest episodes, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can click on the button down, probably down here. Down here? Up here? I don't know where it is. Over here, um, point or if you want face. to not see us and just hear us, you can subscribe to us using a variety of podcast clients, depending on what platform you use. For example, we're on Apple iTunes. We're also on Google Play Music and Google Podcasts. And uh, we've got some more coming on the way. I, I know we're on Pocket Cast as well. So make sure to subscribe. Jody said you should rate us, although maybe not on this one episode because we were all over the place here. Although, you know what? Maybe that's good feedback, too. Look, I already gave you feedback to provide us. You know? It's good. I love how much confidence you have in us. That's good. That's nice. <laughs> Thanks, Sammy. And uh, it's a great way for us to get better and as well for other people to see our podcast as well. So you're doing us a favor. You're doing other people a favor. It's win-win. Every Friday, you'll see our podcast, so um, be sure to check in next Friday and see all the cool cars we've got coming that cool. time. Thank you for tuning in. Bye.